Right now in America, one in 10 people are currently in recovery from drug or alcohol addiction. And of those, some 50 to 90% will relapse at some point in their lives. Because of the power of addiction, many of them may never regain their recovery. Hi, I'm Ron Chapman. I'm an alcoholic with nearly three decades of sustained sobriety. If there's one thing I know about substance abuse recovery, it's that recovery is always a work in progress. Progressive recovery is a commitment to continuously moving forward every day to strengthen one's recovery. Recovery isn't just about learning how to not use. It's about the willingness to tackle the underlying issues that trigger using in the first place. Welcome to Progressive Recovery. People sharing stories from their daily fight for sobriety. Hi, this is Ron Chapman, and welcome back to Progressive Recovery. Delighted you're with us. I've got a lot of good feelings about this interview with my friend Ethan, someone I've known for six or seven years, I think, and have had a chance to watch his recovery, which has been a real pleasure, a real joy. And I think you're going to appreciate the story, too. We're in a small southern city that will go unnamed for obvious reasons. What you need to know about Ethan is that he's a young man. He's a very good-looking man. Many have said that. They've told me that. The thing that impresses me is that due to a, a, a recent physical regimen, he can now box jump 38 inches, which for for guys is a big deal, maybe for women too. But uh, I think you're going to enjoy what Ethan has to say. So, Ethan, tell us a little bit about, about who you are and how you got here. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, I... Grew up in a small southern town, and my parents got divorced when I was probably eight or nine. So at that point, I would say that my childhood was pretty normal. That that occurrence was really difficult for me. I feel like... Other than that, it was a pretty uneventful childhood, but I definitely struggled with uh, with that divorce. I started drinking when I was 14, and before that, I think that I would probably say that I wanted to belong, I wanted to fit in, but never really felt like I did wholly. I think that I felt some tension walking around in my own skin. Yeah. And as soon as I found alcohol, that tension was relieved. Now, you do have a particularly funny first drink story. I do. So I don't know how many 14-year-olds or any story that I've heard of an alcoholic would say that they had their first drink and it was champagne on New Year's Eve. <laughs> so uh, I I had my first drink. It was champagne. And from the very beginning, I had to be taken care of. And I was told that I was annoying and I had to be put to bed by my friends who were apparently much more responsible than I was at 14. Mm. So... After that point, it was it was whenever I could um, off to the races, and I think that I really tried to drink and use 
as often as I could in order to find that relief from the tension that I felt. Mm-hmm. So high school was pretty rough for me. I struggled with some depression and uh, there were a couple of times where I had some suicidal thoughts that I didn't really share with anyone. At this point, I um, like to write some poetry. And so I would express myself that way. And I think that one point where I was sort of reaching out for help was I let my mom read one of the poems where I talked about a young person who committed suicide. Uh, Yeah. So uh, there were several therapists that I don't know that I was ever completely honest with. Um, Definitely not about how much I was drinking or um, the amount that I was drinking at the occurrence that I was drinking it. I somehow managed to complete high school. I was pretty much a loner. And so I should back up a little bit. When my parents got divorced a few years later, my mom got remarried. And so I now have a stepdad and we move into an even smaller southern town out in the middle of nowhere. So I go to a different high school than I was planning on. And so I think that this, that would have probably have been what I tied the depression and and suicidal thoughts to. So when I graduate high school, I move back to my hometown and I get an apartment with a couple of friends and it's party every weekend and then the weekends become longer. And when I was 20 years old, I got a DUI. So that, I think for me at that point, up until that, up until that point, that would, that would be what I would pinpoint as the lowest I've ever felt in my life. I spent two nights in jail and For me, it was like, how did I get here? How did someone who is a good person, morally a good person, raised to know right from wrong, end up in this jail cell? And I was terrified and confused and scared, but I did not quit drinking. (laughs) Of course. Right. <laughs> right. Because I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. So I continued drinking and I met someone when I was 22 who happened to be in recovery, in 12-step recovery. And we started dating. And six months later, I got sober. So I think for the first time... There was a little nudge for me to look at myself honestly, and for whatever reason, I took that nudge. It was either that, or I'm going to leave the relationship, or I'm going to move, Um, but I really didn't think that recovery would work for me. It did, thankfully. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I started recovery. I got a sponsor. I went to meetings. And it changed my life. I just recently got married, not to that person that I was with, (laughs) um, but I recently got married last November and I've learned how to have healthy relationships and go to work on time, show up when I'm supposed to. I've learned how to be a friend. Um, so many gifts, so many gifts. And you're, you're done with college now? I'm not done with college. Okay, you're close. I, yes, yeah. I am close. I'm graduating in December with my um, BSW, Bachelor's in Social Work, and then I'll start my master's program the following May. Outstanding. Yes. Yeah. It's taken me 14 years to get here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you wouldn't want to rush these things. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so sobriety opened things up for you. Yes, absolutely. I... Yeah, so this is um, a touchy subject and a hard subject to talk about because it is brutally honest um, for me to talk about it. Five years into recovery, I realized that I'm transgender and took the biggest leap I've ever taken and started to transition from female to male. So if you're hearing my voice, um, (laughs) it's a male voice. So I was assigned female at birth and transitioned to male at five years in recovery. For me, the first time that I knew something wasn't right, as it relates to gender was when I was five years old and I remember going to my mom crying, upset and saying, I wish God had made me a boy. So up until that point, I thought that I was a boy. Oh, right. Yeah. But you know, a kid is born and the doctor says this is a boy or this is a girl. And then the parents socialize and society socializes a kid in a certain way. So I had received those messages. No, you're a girl. This is what girls do. This is what girls wear. This is how girls act. These are your expectations. Right. When I realized that, okay, I'm not, a boy, even though I really feel like a boy, that was very, very upsetting. So at that point, at five years old, going to my mom, saying this, um, I, you know, as a five-year-old kid, what do you do when you're that upset and you feel hopeless to change anything? Yeah. Yeah. So I eventually learned what the word tomboy meant. Ah, of course. And so that was the closest um, identity that I could sort of attach to. Well, especially in a, in a small southern town. Right. I mean. Right. So a little girl cannot go outside at 10 years old 
with her shirt off and run around with the rest of the boys in the neighborhood and that be okay. Yeah. Which is exactly what I was doing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And getting in trouble for it. I, I would imagine you'd get in trouble. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, so Tomboy was what I latched on to. That didn't really fit. Mm-hmm. It quit working. I had short hair. I would always be mistaken, quote unquote, mistaken for a boy. And my parents would correct whoever um, made the mistake. And so what I wanted to do at that point was just crawl in a hole because I wanted that to just be okay. Um, I wanted to be their son. I wanted to be the little boy with the baseball cap on. And whenever the corrections were made, a scene was made, and then other people fell all over themselves to apologize and, oh, it's just because you have short hair and you're such a beautiful girl. And so I, like, more and more just wanted to crawl in a hole. God, the the shame in that has got to be just awful. Yes. Something is wrong with me. I don't look how I'm supposed to look. My parents are embarrassed. Um, yeah, it it was definitely tough. So I think, you know, I got the message that this gender stuff was not okay. And there wasn't anything that I could do to change that. So the most logical thing my unconscious mind does is to suppress it all. Of course. Stuff it, stuff it, stuff it. And that's exactly what I did. I grew my hair out in middle school. I tried to wear feminine clothes. I tried to fit in. I tried to um, get boyfriends. And that is when... I started drinking. 14 years old, when I was trying my best to fit in, and I was feeling that immense tension in my body, that is where I found the relief of alcohol. So alcohol literally took that... my life. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because I think that had I had those... Further on in high school, had I had that depression and those suicidal thoughts and not had alcohol, I would not be here. Yeah. Yeah. So it literally saved my life. Mm-hmm. And it got me to a point where it was bad enough that I sought recovery and could deal with this once I had a foundation. So how much of this came clear to you after you got sober? I mean, mean, it's not like you didn't know your own history, but surely you didn't connect some of the dots until you were sober. Right. I was terrified to look at any of it. Okay. Yeah. I, and you know, I, I didn't look at any of it until I was five years sober. I think before that time, I was just clearing away the surface stuff. Right. You know, cleaning up relationships, uh, cleaning up financial stuff, cleaning up harms, 
figuring out, you know, surface character defects in me. And I don't, I can't really tell you what the turning point was, Hmm. how this opened up, but I found information online and became obsessed with that information. Because you're finally getting some answers, right? Right. Right. Things are finally beginning to make some sense. Exactly. Right. And I never knew what transgender was. I never knew who transgender people were. And so when I started watching videos of people, trans people, sharing their stories, honestly, I was fascinated. And there was still a level of fear there. So I still wasn't. I was hesitating to identify, but I kept opening myself up to that, opening myself up. And eventually, I I mean, I think it's through step work that a channel was cleared and I was able to finally, honestly, fearlessly look at the stuff that I had buried so deep so the, so the 12 steps the the process of working that like knocked the what knocked the surface stuff off so you could get a better look at who you were i think so i think that i had to clear away the stuff that was on top of that in order to i mean this was my earliest earliest stuff right. yeah <laughs> You know, five years old. Right. Right. And so, you know, there was research that I did because it's it's not like with this thing you can say, oh, yeah, I think I'll try this on for a little while. And, oh, I'm just kidding. It's not right for me. So I wanted to be sure. Yeah. And there was fear in the way. There was doubt in the way. So I did a lot of research. And I sought some outside help to talk it through. And once I came to terms with it, my next thought was, am I going to still have a place in recovery? Are these people still going to accept me? And the answer that I found was yes. I definitely do. And they definitely love me. Yeah, so I have to interject and ask you to comment on something. It's going to make me cry because it's one of the it's one of the moments that I was most proud of you and of what I saw the community could do because a group of men invited you to join their, their step study group, mm-hmm. which I remember I got chills just thinking about it. It's like small Southern town, potentially well, city, potentially closed minded. Mm-hmm. And these men are big enough, strong enough to say, Ethan, you want to hang out with us? We're just like, so I cannot imagine how that must have felt. Right. It was definitely validating. Yeah. Definitely validating. I think that at that point, that was probably key for me too, because I struggled with who do I belong with now? You know, in a lot of 12-step recovery programs, it's, you know, women stick with the women, men stick with the men. And so up to this point, I was sticking with the women. I had formed really solid relationships with several women. 
And so I, my natural thought was, well, I have to break away from those relationships and form new relationships with men. And I have no idea how to do that. <laughs> well, you have no practice at that. Exactly. Yeah. I was not socialized as a man. Yeah. So that was a huge, a huge validation and sort of a, just being wrapped up. Mm. Yeah. Isn't it ironic? I mean, I was just thinking. It's ironic that, that some would say, well, those steps are there to get you sober and clean and all that. And and like what you're saying is, no, they can take you much deeper into identity itself. Absolutely. I There would be no way that I would have uncovered this truth about myself and been able to live an authentic life had it not been for the steps. So, yes, they, they get you sober. And I think if that's all you want to do, that's great. But for me, there was more work to be done. And it had to be in this order. It had to be get sober, work the steps for several years, several times, and then realize this big truth about yourself mm-hmm. and transition. Take action. Yeah. There's a there's a line I know that says sometimes we will discover the patterns that underlie our life and life challenges. And that's exactly what this is. Mm-hmm. Right. So what does what does this say about the recovery rooms for for someone like you? I mean, how do you how do you view the recovery rooms in light of this? I think that it is a place where. I find a home. No matter who I am. No matter what my past is, it's a place where I find a home. I really, it was a legitimate fear that I was going to be cast out. And so I took an opportunity in a meeting about fear to come out, to share this truth about myself. And I was, again, wrapped up in love. I think that it's a testament to the recovery world that regardless of what people's personal views are, I don't have any idea what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, if they don't like it, I have no idea because I'm treated with unconditional love. I think that, sure, some people may be uncomfortable because of their own beliefs and views, but I don't have any idea about yeah. that, if that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the thing I really wanted to talk about above all else is um, you have blossomed. It's just been an amazing thing to watch, both up close and afar, since I don't live near you anymore. Talk to us about thriving in not just recovery, but this transition recovery. I mean, you've you've found yourself. What does blossoming look like today? Right. I, it's also been a process. Hmm. So when I transitioned, uh, it's been on multiple layers. So when I first transitioned, I was a smoker. And I'm not condoning or condemning (laughs) any kind of behavior. You do what you want. But I was a smoker. I did not take care of my health. 
I didn't exercise. I ate crap food. Um, I drank tea and coffee. I had a really shitty diet. And all of a sudden, there was something in me that wanted to take care of me. Mm. So I quit smoking. I started drinking water. I started exercising. You know, all of these things just changed. It wasn't like I set out to, oh, I, okay, I want to I want to become healthy. Now that I'm transitioning, I want to become healthy. That's not what happened. It just changed. Like so many other things that happened because of recovery. I I can't force these things to happen. They just happen. Other things that were happening in my life, like I can't show up to work on time or I don't always show up at all or I can't manage my finances or I've enrolled and dropped out of school over and over and over. All of those things started to change. And you got married. And I got married. <laughs> and it's a healthy marriage. And it's been a healthy relationship, which is really, really crazy yeah. and awesome. Yeah. Yeah, and that you've found a woman who loves you. Yeah. Just exactly like you are. Exactly. How's that feel? It's amazing. I, you know, and the cool thing about... My wife is that we were best friends before. Ah. So that, I think, is the most special part of our relationship. Yeah. Um, that, that it was built on that friendship. But relationships were definitely a, a cause of concern when I was starting to transition. And I think that I have found a piece of self-acceptance through this process of transition and, and a less, less of a need to seek it outside. Mm -hmm. Um, so one example of that would be before my wife and I got together and I was sort of dating here and there, here and there, uh, I met someone, we went on a date. She did not know that I was trans and I felt the need to tell her on the first date. <laughs> and so, because obviously everything hinged on that piece of, of information, uh, I didn't end up liking her. And so what I realized from that, and, and she wanted to go out again, and I did not. What I realized from that was that I don't need outside acceptance. Uh, everything doesn't hinge on this mm -hmm. fact that I'm trans. I, I can find my own self-acceptance mm -hmm. and build relationships based on my own boundaries and based on my own wants and needs. So you don't have to explain yourself. Exactly. That's beautiful. It is. I, that's changed. Mm. I thought that because this was such a big deal that it, I, it was my responsibility to explain it and to make sure everybody was okay with it. Yeah. Now, at one point, you were also, um, what, a spokesperson uh, for 
transgender what policy practices uh, right so i do trainings um training sessions education i work with um one of the major health systems in in this area implementing you know changes in their policies and practices with trans employees with um visitors that they've got and I speak to colleges about my own experience, churches, high school GSAs, gay straight alliance, that sort of thing. So I am vocal. And it's also, you know, this other thing I learned about in recovery is it's all about finding a balance. And that is one of the things that I've had to apply that to. My balance of being open and visible as a transgender person with my own set of boundaries and there are limits and how do I sort of balance those two things. Mm -hmm. And talk to me about family because that's been cool too. It is. I have an amazing family. You know, I really think that my, my parents did the best they knew how to do with me as a kid and coming out as trans. The first thing that my mom said when I decided to, to come out to her was, I can't say that I'm surprised, which blew me away. (laughs) You know, here my mom is and we're close saying that she's not surprised by this information was incredible. It was really incredible. And my dad at the time was really sick. And so I wasn't, and the illness that he had affected his mind as well. And so I wasn't really sure if he was going to be able to understand it. And if he did understand it, I didn't know if he would be able to remember it. And so I had not yet figured out how I was going to share this information. But I was visiting one day and he asked me what's new and it just came out. And he said what he's always said. And that is that he's proud of me. Bam. That's it. Yeah. That's the best I could hope for. Truly, given how difficult this is for so many families and so many communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't ask for better. Yeah. So I'm going to surprise you with something. Uh Oh, no, you just looked away. (laughs) Recently, you posted online, social media, that you were celebrating six years Mm -hmm. transition, Mm -hmm. uh, which must be then, what, 11 years sober? Yes. Yeah. So 11 years sober, six years transition. And I watched the outpouring. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. The the look in your eyes. Mm -hmm. I watched the outpouring. Why don't you tell our listeners what you heard and felt as a result of that? Overwhelmed. Yeah. Overwhelmed. Yeah, it's it's difficult to put that into words. Um, love, a, appreciation. Um, 
yeah, I don't really know. I, it was something crazy, like 400 responses or something. (laughs) And I didn't even realize I had that many friends. Um, I, I think that when I allow myself to be vulnerable and honest, which I am often frightened of doing. Yeah. People respond to that in a positive way. And I have amazing people in my life who see me as I am and love me as I am. Well, some of the things they said actually are a reflection, perhaps, because they said you were amazing. They said you were courageous. They praised you in all kinds of ways. Yeah, it's hard for me to to sort of um, let all that sink in. Yeah. 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 Well done. Thanks. Congratulations. Thank you very much. For Progressive Recovery, that's it this time. Please tune in again. Ethan, thanks again. Thanks, Ron. To listen to more... Or to learn more, visit ProgressiveRecovery.org. Better still, please subscribe to our updates. There are excellent special guests in the queue, and we'll soon announce Series 2 of the Recovery Sessions. Thanks again for listening. This is Ron Chapman for Progressive Recovery. Bye for now.